0: good songs not really anything else to say you can go home that uh and can it be mr wesley outdid himself when he wrote that song so what 200 years ago or more and uh, that's just just wonderful well tonight we are looking in uh, psalm 102 and we've got some uh, letters down here for you to sign uh one's for ron coley he uh started feeling bad, went to the hospital and they ended up yesterday putting a pacemaker in him and uh, he thought he might go home yesterday evening but uh, they they go up now through the leg and uh, that plug popped out and started bleeding so they kept him another day to make sure everything was okay. So he's home now so uh, be sure and sign that. And then you remember uh, Jill Johnson, Ben Donahue's sister, uh, she's got cancer that has metastasized to her liver, and so uh, we've got a letter down here to uh, uh, send to her, so that'll encourage her a lot, and then uh, we also want to remember to pray for Danny Hudler, he's not feeling uh, well, and had some uh, tests run today, so remember them, and uh, Mama Lou had another cancer taken off, and um, uh, checked yesterday, she's, Having a lot of pain from that tonight. And so uh, be sure and pray for her uh, when that time comes as well. Okay? So let's look at our scripture tonight. In uh, Psalm 102, we're going to talk about how God, uh, the God of the future, and kind of look at how He sees and how He looks at everything. One thing I'm real happy about, God never gets up and looks at the newspaper. God never gets up and looks at the calendar to see what has happened and he doesn't look at the paper to find out what's going to happen because he controls it all and he's planned the end from the beginning. Now we've seen this psalmist in 102 go from, uh, and we wonder if he's even saved in the first few verses, but then we find out that he is, he's just like all of us, he's kind of having a sinking spell and uh, then he starts praising the Lord and affirming the Lord and Thinking about that, and so uh, we get uh, to this part of it in verse 18, and it says, This will be written for the generation to come, that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. For he looked down from the height of his sanctuary. From heaven the Lord viewed the earth. To hear the groaning of the prisoner to release those appointed to death, to declare the name of the Lord in Zion and His praise in Jerusalem. When the peoples, notice that that's plural, that's a little weird for us, but the peoples, we could say the nations, the races, are gathered together and the kingdoms to serve the Lord. So, The psalmist starts writing now about things that he would never see, obviously. And in our generation, we write and we hope to see some of these things, but we may never see them, at least not in our lifetime. Of course, uh, when the Lord comes back and we're taken home and then he comes back to reign, we get to be a part of that. That's a great thing. But in the here and now, the nasty now, as some people have put it, do you ever think about the little children in your family, and wonder, what is life going to be like for them? What's going to happen? Do you look at teenagers and wonder, what is life going to be like for them when they're my age? Uh, I'm at the age now where I can remember when my parents were my age. My mom passed away at my age, so I don't like to think about that too much. But uh, my dad, I remember when he was 63. And what's really weird for me is I remember when my grandpa was 63. And my grandma as well. And you start having those things where you start thinking about the various generations. Who they were, where they lived, what they went through. And uh, I'm glad I don't have to live like some of my ancestors lived. And uh, I'm glad that most every night I go to bed with a full belly... Eating uh, pretty much whatever I want to eat. Because if it's not in the refrigerator, we can go get it somewhere. You can even DoorDash it and have it delivered if you can afford it. And, uh, you know, we, we just are so blessed and have it so easy. Uh, I, I can bathe every day, multiple times a day. Which my wife is very grateful for on those days when I'm mowing the lawn and that kind of stuff. And I have hot water and clean water. Uh, I've been on some mission trips where the first thing they tell you is do not drink the water. And you have to be really careful because by habit you might brush your teeth with the tap water. You don't want to do that. They even told us when you're in the shower, look down, don't look up. And uh, if you do, you might swallow some of it and there are microbes in their water. Aren't you glad you don't have to worry about that? Aren't you glad you don't have to boil your water every time you get ready to use the water for something and to drink it and every once in a while there's a problem with the water treatment plant or water lines and you hear in, usually in smaller communities that so-and-so has to boil their water before they uh, drink it. Well that's a, a minor inconvenience nowadays because it's pretty easy to boil water. Uh, can you only imagine what it was like when people were drinking out of the creeks When people had water that wasn't as clean and it wasn't treated and they had to boil it and they could, but they had to gather wood in order to boil it and they had to put the wood in a wood stove. Oh my goodness, I can't imagine how in the world did my grandmother cook out on the back porch on a wood stove in August. Can you imagine? And we just go over and turn it on and (laughs) here it comes and... And, you know, when it's over with, we're done with it, we shut it off. It's, it's amazing the times we live. And then I think as you go further back, what about the persecution that believers used to face? Maybe in, in, I mean, even in jolly old England, Baptists were persecuted and even executed back in those days because they have a little thing, and maybe if you watch the coronation of King Charles... He has to make an affirmation of his faith, which he's a liar because he's a new age to the core type guy. But he promised to be a Protestant defender of the faith. Hmm. And uh, as he did that, he also took the title of not only the king of England and the British Empire or what's left of it, but the head of the church. Can you imagine having King Charles as the head of our church? Boy, we wouldn't stand a chance, would we? We're way too conservative and that type of thing. Can you imagine what he would do in the stands that we take on biblical morality, no sex before marriage, and uh, calling homosexuality a sin, and you know those type of things? Uh, think about where that would go. And then when we talk about the Lord being sovereign, even above Him, because He's the King of all kings, or above all kings, or the King that the kings look to, and uh, I'm not sure that he would understand that or really like that. I mean, you could get into some trouble. And our Baptist forebears, they got into real trouble in England because they rejected the king's baptism. And uh, they would be born again and then they would be reading in their scripture wait a minute people didn't get baptized till after they were saved they weren't sprinkled as little babies in the new testament you can't find an instance of that and uh, then when they were baptized they weren't sprinkled they went down into the water the Ethiopian eunuch said here is much water what does hinder me from being baptized you don't need much water just to sprinkle somebody have you seen that thing on Facebook? It says that it's so dry in Texas that the Baptists are sprinkling and the uh, Methodists are using wet wipes and the Pre- Presbyterians are giving rain checks. <laughs> you know, All of that kind of stuff. Uh, I'm glad we're not in that situation. But, uh, you know, it's interesting when you think about what our forefathers looked at reading in the Scripture, would you have come to those same conclusions? Would you have looked at that and said, gee, being a part of the King's Church, the Church of England, is you know not enough. Going through the rituals, that's not enough. You must be born again. And uh, that would automatically make some people look at you suspiciously. This is not the way, uh, say it like this, this is not the way we do it. Okay. Can you imagine when you're reading further and you go, wait a minute, my baptism that I got when I was a baby can't be valid because baptism is made upon your profession of faith. When you read in the book of Acts and elsewhere in the Bible, I need to be baptized. And then you come to the conclusion, not only do I need to be baptized after my salvation, but it's got to be by immersion, not sprinkling, okay? The king of England back in the 15 and 1600s did not take well to that because essentially you were saying to the king as the quote-unquote head of the church, the Church of England, your baptism is not valid. Well, he didn't like that. And so your Baptist forefathers paid a high price for believing what you believe and doing what you do. Can you imagine living like that? Man, I'm so glad I don't have to live like that. I'm, I'm pretty happy being where I am. Sometimes more than others. And sometimes there are some days and some news events and situations and moral issues that are not quite as good as others. And then other days you just can't help but rejoice and be thankful for all the ways the Lord has blessed you. But my consternation comes. I mean, I feel bad for my ancestors who paid a price being burned at the stake or imprisoned, or beheaded, or whatever, for doing what I do. And sometimes I have a little bit of guilt on that. Why have I been chosen to have it so easy? Am I that big of a sissy that uh, I couldn't take it? And I I don't know what the answer to all of that is. But uh, this is where we are. Can't do anything about that. Didn't choose to be born. Didn't ask when to be born or where to be born. I'm just fortunate and blessed to be born in the United States of America at this time. Anybody agree with me on that? A lot of people seem to be complaining, unha- unhappy about that, and they're really complaining, not against the country or the government, they're complaining against God. We need to read Romans 13 every once in a while, and just take a deep breath and say, God, I trust you, and I believe you got me here for such a time as this. So I think about that, and I can... Kind of, even though I may get a little disgusted or put out with things that are happening now, I can kind of handle it because I understand at least some of it. As I get older, less and less, but I do understand some of it. We're kind of immersed in it, right? But when I think about the future, where does some of this stuff lead? You know, back when uh, Barack Obama was president and the thing about... uh, Uh, Gay marriage becoming law, uh, the gay activists said, Don't worry about anything. We don't want your children. And we don't want to normalize all of this to the extent you're thinking we're not coming into the schools. We're not going to do anything like that. We're not going to be militant. We just want to be left alone and live our lives. Well, there were people back then that were telling us, No, that's not going to happen. Now, when I see the things where a drag queen is shaking whatever, I'll be polite, in front of an elementary age child or some of the parades that they have, I go, boy, they lied to us and sold us a bill of goods, didn't they? Now, I don't like that. And I wonder, what do the next 10 years hold? What do the next 20 years hold? What about the next 30 years? I don't have a crystal ball. I don't have any way of knowing the future, and God doesn't give me special revelation for anything like that. This is where faith comes in. This is where we have to take what the Word of God says, and we've got to just rest in Him and trust in Him. I believe it was Charles Spurgeon, somebody in that era at least, and somebody like him, that said, The sovereignty of God is the pillow on which we lay our head each night. Because you've got to just simply trust in Him. He knows the future, He's got a plan, and He's working the plan. Now this psalmist, all he could see was the misery around him, the situation where they'd been taken to Babylon, conquered by Nebuchadnezzar, and uh, all of that that's going on, Jerusalem in ruins, the temple being destroyed, and the people being taken captive. That's all he can really see. And so it causes him some distress. But then as he starts thinking about who the Lord is, it puts everything in perspective. I want to encourage you that whenever life gets to be more than you can handle, go to the Lord. Look to the Lord because you can't handle it, but He can. You can't figure it out, but He knows the end from the beginning and He's the one who is in control. He's where you will find your peace. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, Isaiah says, whose mind is stayed upon thee because he trusteth in thee. Okay, Think about that. If you will put your mind on Christ, he'll give you that peace. It's when we look at everything else and we start speculating and we start imagining and we start... Um, worrying and we're filled with anxiety God has a better life for you and for me than that it's not that he wants us to be an ostrich with our head in the sand and to just be naive and just walk around like nothing's wrong of course we've got to address things and of course we've got to pray about things and of course we ought to be burdened about things but those things are not our sovereign. Those things are not our Lord. We don't bow down to those things and we don't let those things rule our lives. We are supposed to take every thought captive, aren't we? And we don't do very well at that. And we need to think about that. We need to put that into operation much, much more. So when I think about God and His Looking at the future, however long that is, I don't know how much time we have left. Sometimes I think it can't be much longer, but then again, I'm sure every generation has looked at that and thought, you know, how much longer can it be till the Lord comes? So we'll just leave that in his hands and we'll just say if it's another 500 years, then uh, what's going to happen? Well, number one, I wrote down these words. God looks at the future like this, perpetual, and I added a word that's, uh, I don't know is on the screen, and prophetic. Because verse 18 says, this will be written. What's going to be written? Well, he's talking about what he is writing in Psalm 102. He knew he was writing something that God was going to include as scripture that he was writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he knew it was going to endure. Okay? Let's uh, think about this. This is probably written sometime around uh, 586 or later B.C., okay? May I ask you a question? How many other books do you have that were written in 586 or so B.C.? How many other things can you quote? Well, you've got one right here, this psalm. Was written during that time. 586 BC is when Nebuchadnezzar invaded Jerusalem and destroyed it and took the captives like Daniel to uh, Babylon. Okay, so it's sometime there, maybe a little bit later. Don't know exactly. That's a long time ago. I don't think I have anything else other than the Bible that was written then. It's not like I pick up something and say, hey, I found a Spider Man comic book from 586 BC. You don't, you don't do that. I found a book of poetry from 500 BC. You you just don't do that. And yet this has been preserved for all of those years. I mean, it's been 2,000 years plus since Christ was born. And then you add another 500, 600 years onto that. And that's what we are reading tonight. It has been perfectly preserved for us. And the psalmist writes about that. And it's written here for the generation to come. Well, you know what's interesting is, let's look at it from the psalmist's perspective. You are who he's talking about here. You're the generation to come because you didn't exist back then. Some of you look like you might have and you got close, but you didn't exist back then, right? And uh, so I think about that. We are that generation and there are generations to come after us. We have children, we have grandchildren, great-grandchildren for some of you. But regardless, there are other generations that are to come and they need this psalm. And so it's been preserved for them and that's what he's making reference to. And he says it with a purpose. The word that always indicates a purpose clause is coming up. Why did he do that? Why is he preserving this book? That a people yet to be created may praise the Lord that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. No, the destruction of the temple and all of that uh, is not going to be a a repetitive event in days to come. There's going to be a rebuilding of the temple, but not another destruction because there's not a temple right now. There hasn't been a temple on Mount Zion since uh, 70 A.D. That's just a long time, no matter how you slice it. Not quite as far as 586 B.C. when Solomon's temple was destroyed, but they rebuilt the temple after Cyrus the Great, the Persian king, let them go back to Jerusalem. But after Christ died and went to heaven, ascended to the throne, uh, a few decades after that in 70 A.D., all of Jerusalem was destroyed. They even put salt in the soil so nothing would grow there, and the temple was once again in rubble. So uh, when we think about all of that, why would this need to be preserved? And he tells us that generations to come, those not yet created would praise the Lord. Now why would we need that? Because we may not go through an exile, but we're going to go through trials. Peter, the apostle, called them fiery trials. Do not be surprised when fiery trials overtake you. And yet we are sometimes. And sometimes we're bewildered. Why is this happening? How could God allow anything like this? Do not be surprised when fiery trials overtake you. Jesus put it like this. If the world hated me, they're going to hate you. We're going to have trials. And these children that uh, tonight are working on their Bible Fair projects, they may go through unimaginable things. We sure hope not. And we sure pray not, but we don't know. We don't know what life is going to be like when they are 63. We don't know what the government's going to be like when they're 63. We don't know anything about the freedoms and liberties that we have now or our prosperity or any... We have no idea. Getting anxious? Well, you better rest in the Lord because the Lord knows. And He's prepared them for their generation just like He prepared you for your generation. And just like He did the people back in the exile for their generation. God is faithful to His children. And so uh, as we look at this, I guess probably if I'd been thinking um, right now, I'm kind of flying by the seat of my pants. Aren't I? Look at number one. It's perpetual, meaning that he looks at the future. It's going to go on and on. There are new generations coming, and they will be coming and more and more and more and more, and it's going to roll on until Jesus comes, okay? So it's perpetual. People are going to get saved. People are going to get baptized. People are going to grow in the Lord. People are going to be called to missions. People are going to be called to preach. People are going to be deacons and elders and Sunday school teachers, And it's going to keep on going because the gates of hell will not prevail against the Lord's church. And it's going to go on and on until he comes. That's why it's perpetual. I also have the word down there. It's prophetic because it's going to be exactly the way and in the manner and the timing that the Lord has prescribed. So the Lord is not up in heaven going, oops, uh, what, what happened here? Angels, better check that out and tell me, give me some advice as to what we ought to do. No, it's all rolling along, step by step, year by year, decade by decade, century by century, and even uh, millennia by millennium, all according to the plan of the Lord, okay? And so uh, maybe uh, as we think about that, perpetual and prophetic, and uh, we could add a word like purposeful in there. God knows exactly what He's doing. We could add the word prepared onto that. I mean, we could keep on going, couldn't we? Think about that. The Lord is never caught off guard. He never makes and creates people and then goes, oh, well, uh, should have put them in the 1940s. He doesn't do that. You're made for the time in which you live. And He'll do that even for our future generations. So trust the Lord. Rest in Him and praise Him that you're having the privilege of raising up people as a parent or maybe even as a grandparent that may take a stand for God and do more for Jesus in their lifetime than you could ever imagine in yours. Be ready. That's why we've got to pray for our children. That's why we've got to love them. That's why we've got to reach out to them. And that's why we've got to give them the gospel. And that's why we've got to disciple them. They're going to stand in ways we can never imagine. That word prepared is a big, big, huge word. Okay? So, when we uh, think about generations to come, just be reminded here that the enemy will not destroy God's people, God's children, God's church, or derail his plan. Somebody say amen to that. That is so good to know. In fact, he talks about generations yet to be created. I mean, that goes as far as it has to. As far as it has to. Now, if the Lord comes back tomorrow, then we're all here. If He doesn't come back for another 500 years, He's going to have to have some people that carry on through all of that. That's a lot of generations away, isn't it? But He'll do it, and He has promised that. In fact, I thought about how God always seems to have future generations on his mind. They're not an afterthought and they're not a, oh, we better do something here. He's already got a plan for all of that. I thought about it in Genesis 1.28. And God blessed them, speaking of Adam and Eve. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God prepared all of this for us to use. Okay? Don't worry about all of the stuff people try to tell you about the earth running out of resources or being destroyed. God's given us everything that we need. And then I found in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Now it's not exactly the same thing, but it's kind of... Sort of, in a a way, similar. Okay? It says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. You know, it's almost like he said to Adam and Eve, Here's what you do physically. Subdue the earth. Fill the earth. And like he was telling the disciples, Now, before I ascend to heaven, the marching orders are the same, but this time it's spiritual. In a spiritual way, fill the earth, tell every creature about Jesus, lead people to faith in Jesus Christ, make disciples of them and baptize them and carry on the work and multiply yourselves. We're supposed to be multiplying ourselves. Think about that. What is God saying in both of those to Adam and Eve? There's a future. There's only two of you and uh, you're not all that great, but uh, hey, All living creatures are going to come from you. And then it's as if he's saying to the disciples, you're just a small motley crew here, but through you, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, there are going to be a lot of people saved. They got a really good start on the day of Pentecost. Peter preached, and how many were saved? What? 3,000. That's a pretty good start, isn't it? I mean, if you're going to plant a church... And you're going to do it with 3,000 people. I would say that's really, really good. And all of a sudden they go from 120 gathered in the upper room. And then now they've got 3,120. And the book of Acts says. And the Lord added to the church those who were being saved. And then it says he began to multiply those Who were being saved. And then it says the number of disciples greatly multiplied. Man this thing was exploding. And they were touching the continents. And touching the nations. And touching the world for Christ. Way back then. Why? Because the Lord has an eye on the future. And a plan for the future. And he also has a plan for the people of the future. You can trust him. Now number two. I put down the word concern. He has concern about people. And it says that he looked down from the height of his sanctuary, from heaven, the Lord viewed the earth. Can you imagine now what he sees when he's looking upon the earth? All the different nations, all the idolatry, all the perversion, all of the apathy, all of those kind of things that are going on around the earth. He sees all of that. But he also sees you. And he sees your love for him and he sees your faith in him. And he sees your heart to worship him. And uh, you bless the Lord by your faithfulness to him. He sees it. It's never ever forgotten. The book of Hebrews says God is not so unjust as to forget your work of faith and labor of love. He just doesn't do that. He pays attention to it. So it says he's looking down from heaven from his sanctuary and uh, views the earth. And then verse 20 says... And then he hears something. Not just the praises, not just the good things, not just the delights, but the groaning of the prisoner. Where would the prisoners come from? Now these are not criminal prisoners. These are political prisoners that have been put in prison in Babylon. Maybe even in Jerusalem by the Babylonians that were the occupiers. They're in prison because they are Jews. They're in prison because... Of their covenant with the Lord. And the Lord says I'm not ignoring that. I'm paying attention. I think about the persecuted church today. And the people that are in prison. For serving the Lord. Do you think about them? The book of Hebrews says remember those who are in chains. It could be us one of these days. Or our children or grandchildren. We don't know. So we need to pray for the persecuted church. But the Lord hears their groans. And he hears their cry. That's a good thing to know. And he hears yours too when you're in trouble. And when you're in prison and captivated by sin or the enemy or whatever it might be. He, uh, but we don't want to over spiritualize that. We want to keep sure, uh, make sure we're staying with the text. And so um, it says to release those appointed to death. You know some people are being executed not because they're murderers or rapists or kidnappers or anything like that. They're being executed because they don't toe the political line. A banana republic. You've heard that term a lot lately. Uh, You you don't stay with the party in power. And because of that, you're going to be executed. Well, a lot of Christians were executed. And a lot of Jews were executed for various things. And the Lord is the one who is going to release them from that. And uh, it reminds us that God is omnipresent and omniscient. He knows his people and he knows the situation that we're in. He watches over us and he was aware of those in Babylonian prisons and he was aware of their upcoming execution. I don't know that makes me feel good to know that I'm not outside of his care. I'm not outside of his Eyesight. I'm not away in a place where he goes. Wonder what what would have happened to them. Is there an angel that can tell me what happened to Greg? Uh, oh, well, that's too bad. I mean, that's not God. That's not God. Wherever we are, He is with us. Psalm 34:15 says, "The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous, and He His ears toward their cry." That's you. That's you. You're righteous through Christ. Number three. I wrote down the word restorative because it says to declare the name of the Lord in Zion. Well, that hadn't happened for a while because the temple's been torn down. It's just a pile of rubble. So what's going to happen in order that the name of the Lord is going to be declared there again? The rubble's got to be cleared out and the temple rebuilt. Sacrifices is offered and the uh, services that are taking place there all of that. And it says, and his praise in Jerusalem. Well, Jerusalem wasn't much better than Temple Mount back in those days. This looks ahead to a time when the temple is going to be rebuilt and they're going to be reinstitute all of the festivals and all of the offerings and all of the sacrifice and all of the worship and that Jerusalem is even going to be in. People are going to move back in. They're going to build houses, start businesses, have children, have schools. All of those things that uh, pertain To life. There's going to be a restoration. And uh, Sammy and I can witness there has been a restoration. Jerusalem's not a pile of rubble anymore. It's a thriving big city. Now, the temple hadn't been rebuilt. Kind of scratch my head as to how that's going to take place. But the Lord already knows how He's going to deal with the Muslims and how He's going to put that back up there. And one day, Jesus will be sitting in that temple. And then that brings us kind of to the last. Point that we have here as we think about the millennial reign of Christ and that rebuilt temple. But number four, write down the word fulfilled. Everything is going to be fulfilled. Nothing's going to be left undone. Nothing is going to be unfinished. Nothing is going to come up short. All of it is going to be fulfilled. And it says in verse 22, when the peoples, the nations are gathered together together And the kingdoms. Now that sounds like more than Jews. That sounds like more than Israel. That sounds like the nations of the world. That sounds like nations like communist China and North Korea. Sounds like Muslim countries like Iraq and Iran and Afghanistan. It sounds like secular countries like Great Britain and France. And it sounds like countries like even ours. Are going to be coming to Jerusalem to worship, to praise the king and to get counsel Isn't that what it says? When the peoples, the nations, even the Gentiles are gathered together and the kingdoms to serve the Lord. Can you imagine what it's going to be like when this world actually loves Christ? When this world actually reveres and worships Christ? Can you imagine when this world actually obeys Christ? You say, oh, I can't even imagine. Hang on. The day is coming. Our Lord is going to rule and reign from his, the throne of his father David in Jerusalem. And the nations are going to be gathered to him. I don't know how that's going to happen. And I don't know what the procedure is going to be when that happens. I just know that the word of God says that one day Christ will rule and reign and be worshipped by all of the nations on the earth. That's why it's plural. The people's of the earth and the kingdoms of the earth. It's not just Israel. Zechariah 8:22 says, "Many peoples, same word, and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord." Boy, what a day that's going to be. And you get to be a part of it because you're going to rule and reign with him, the Bible says. I think about how the Lord just works things out in spite of all the junk, in spite of all the rebellion, in spite of all the hatred toward God, His morality and His word. How do you untangle this mess that we're all in and make something out of it? And I thought about Acts chapter 4 verse 27. For truly in this city there were gathered together against against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Lord... Uh, Both Herod, pardon me, and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. What a coalition there, right? And what are they going to do? To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Judas only thought he was exercising his free will, but he was doing exactly what he was supposed to do. Pontius Pilate thought he could just wash his hands and say, Away with him, let him be crucified. His blood won't be on my hands. But he was only doing exactly what God had ordained for him to do. All of that had to take place for Christ to be the Lamb to take away our sins through his death on the cross. It was not an accident. It was on purpose. And it was controlled by God and Jesus knew everything that was going to happen. And he went willingly. Nothing caught him off guard. Wasn't like he got up on the cross and said, Boy, I didn't sign up for this. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. Because he loved you. and wants to save you. Isaiah chapter 46 verses 9 and 10. And we'll be done. Remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. I am God And there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times things not yet done, saying... You ready for this? Can you hear the voice of the Lord thundering? My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish my purpose. Whoo! Praise God! Right? I mean, that's just incredible... To think about that. Nothing left to chance. Nothing where God will just say, I didn't see that coming. Or anything like that. Everything perfectly in line. So, oh, thank you, Lord, for that hope. That gives you hope tonight, doesn't it? And our hope is found in the Lord. Let's pray about it. And then let's uh, spend some time praying for people that are on our prayer list. And don't forget... uh, to sign these letters that means so much to people and is such a blessing when they receive it thank you so much for making sure you do that i know it takes a little bit of time but it sure is a blessing to people so pray with me heavenly father we come to you tonight and we're just reaffirming in our heart that jesus is lord and we thank you Father, that you are not just figuring things out or coming up with plan B or C or by this time, I don't know what you would be on if you were like us. I thank you, Lord, that you are the one who declares the end from the beginning. It's not over. Sometimes we joke and say it's over when it's over and it's over when the fat lady sings. No, it's not over until God says it is over. And we thank you that everything is going to go exactly as you have planned it. Exactly as your word says. And uh, Lord, we don't know how long that is. But we know that you're in control of it. So you hold the future, our future, as well as the future of upcoming generations. Oh Father, save them. Disciple them. Prepare them. And Lord, may we have your heart for the future and for future generations. May we love them, pray for them, help them, disciple them, give them the gospel, whatever it is we can do. And thank you, Lord, that you will prepare them for the day in which they live. We rest in you, our sovereign Lord, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.